0: How is Jesus the king of the world today, in 2016, in Denver, in March? Because I go out there, and I read the news, and I watch TV, and I I see this world, and it is so messed up. Does anyone agree with me? Just give me an amen, all right. We're the 10 o'clock people, we got to have amens going left and right, all right? So it sounds great that Jesus is ruling the world and all, but I really only hear that in church. When I'm out there, I don't experience or see Jesus ruling and reigning, and I'm trying to figure out what's the difference and how is Jesus really the king of the world when I am not seeing it. It seems like our world is so messed up. It seems like everybody hates God when you go out there. It seems like that's the popular thing to do right now. Uh it's the people who hate God seem to be the ones in power. In all the countries the leaders seem to be the ones who hate God the most. Murder, torture, hate, poverty, poverty, crime, those all exist in our world today. So how is this Jesus's world? These are great questions and we're going to answer them today fully. So how is Jesus the King of this place, and why would he, why would he even want to be? It seems like it 's unrestrained chaos everywhere that you look, but that 's why Jesus wrote us the book of revelation it's it 's a revelation it shows us it reveals to us what is really going on. So open up to Revelation chapter one and we 're going to see a lot of things about Jesus that are going to help us understand what Jesus is doing and why it looks so different than I think it might should look. Again, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's why um, I I love that name. It's called the revelation of Jesus Christ because it reveals him. It shows us who he is. It, It kind of gives us a peek behind the curtain. It shows us the Wizard of Oz. You know, when you don't know what he is, it shows us the real version of who he is. So let's see what we can learn about Jesus in the book of Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to pick it up in verse 4. It says, John, he's the one writing this down that Jesus is talking to, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace, from him who was and and is and is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. So those right there, those are the three parts of the trinity the father the one who was and is and is to come the spirits and and jesus christ the three different parts all kind of described right there so it's that unity you see now it says when it says and from jesus christ it goes on to now describe him and what he is and what's so important for us to know about him right off the bat here he says verse five and from jesus christ the faithful witness and the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. It goes on it says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So right off the bat, right at the beginning, we learn three things about Jesus, and these three things are going to really help us understand what is going on in the world today And always has been and what will be going on in the future. So these three things. Number one, he's a faithful witness. Number two, he's the firstborn from the dead. And number three, he's the ruler over the kings of the earth. Again, when I'm out there in this crazy world, I need to know why it's so messed up. Because the craziness of this world and the sin, it touches you. And it touches me. And when it touches us, does it feel great? No, it hurts. It results in things like divorce, abuse, struggle, all the things that are messed up in this world. It is in this world. And so I need to know how Jesus is fixing it. I need to know how Jesus is the answer. I can't just go out and say, well, I go to church because I know it's the right thing to do. That's dumb. I can't just say, well, I I think that there's maybe answers in the Bible. No, I need to know what it is about Jesus that fixes me and and changes my life and the world that we live in here. So number one, he's a faithful witness. Like a witness testifying in a court case, Jesus told us everything we needed to know about God. That's what he did in those, those three years that he walked on the earth that's what he was doing. He was explaining to us what God thinks, how God acts, all these things. Now, if you if you uh, got arrested, let's say let's say Norm got it pulled over for speeding, he would never do such a thing. And he goes before the judge, and the judge says, "Well, are there any witnesses?" You know, and Martin's there, and Martin says, "Norm was going a thousand miles per hour." That's a bad witness. Because Norm wasn't speeding. We know Norm doesn't speed at all, ever. But but Martin was a poor witness, you know. Jesus isn't like Martin. You didn't think you'd hear that in the sermon, did you? Jesus gives us the accurate truth of what God really is, and he showed everyone what we needed to know about God. If you, this is what was crazy, if you want to know what God thinks about something, all you have to do is look at Jesus' life. Look at Jesus. And and so we're out there in the world, and we see death. People die. A car accident has happened. People die of cancer, old age, anything you can name it. People have died, fire ants, whatever. People die. What does God think about that? I hear the liberal questions out there all the time. If God is a God of love, he wouldn't let people die well, we had a whole sermon on that last week talk at the end of Genesis 50 talking about death and God's relationship to death. But uh, suffice it to say, he cried. Whenever Jesus saw someone die or experienced death, he wept. It broke his heart. He was messed up. He was sad. That's what God thinks about death. He hates it. He's so brokenhearted that it exists in his world. What about injustice? I look out there and I see injustice, and people use injustice as an excuse to not follow God, to not believe in God. If God was there and if God was so loving, he wouldn't let this happen. He wouldn't let that happen. So how can God be a God of love or God be real? Well, let's go back and look at Jesus. What did Jesus express when he saw injustice? Anger. He was upset. It caused an emotional reaction that he was upset when he saw anger. So he, when he sees the injustice in this world, do you think God is unmoved? No. He's, he's more upset about it than you are. Trust me in that. What about when we see sickness? Oh, God's not real because look at all the people that get sick. I mean, if God was real, there would be no diseases. There'd be no viruses or bacteria Well, when Jesus was here and he experienced sickness, what did he do? He healed. When he experienced sadness, there's a lot of sadness in the world, Jesus comforted. When he saw poverty, he shared. When he saw hardness of heart, he rebuked. When he saw suffering, or when the suffering came to him, what did Jesus do? Oh, I'm too good for that. No, Jesus accepted the suffering as being a part of this world right now. So, we have learned that Jesus was a faithful witness. That's the first thing we're told here in Revelation chapter 4. That's his past. That's what he did in those three years. Only three years we have recorded what he told us, everything we needed to know about God. How cool is that? Number two, we learn, we're told here, that he's the firstborn from the dead. Well, to be the firstborn from the dead, he had to be the first one to die. Well, he wasn't the first one to die, was he? Lots of people died before him. But he was the first to really die to himself. And how that happened, he knows how tough that is. He was the only person to ever be able to do it. I want you to think back and remember to the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before Jesus was crucified, he knew that was coming. He had told his disciples it was coming. He didn't want it to happen he didn't want to have to suffer all that and he really didn't want to have his father turn his back to him and pour out all the wrath and punishment of every sin ever committed by every human being upon him that sounded like torture and it was worse than any kind of torture is the very wrath of god on sin And Jesus knows this is coming, and what does he pray? He says three times, Father, if there's any other way, let's do it that way. Let's do it a different way, but if this is the only way, let your will be done, not my will. He died to himself. He was the first one to choose God over himself, even if that meant he was going to die himself. He was willing to follow his father's will all the way to the cross and trust his dad that it would be all right, that something would happen, and that something did happen. We all know the end of the story. We're here on Sunday, not on Friday. Friday, it was good Friday. That's when Jesus died. That's when he gave his life. Three days later is Sunday, which is the day that he rose from the dead. And that's why we're here celebrating And so Jesus, he was crucified and made the Lamb of God, paid the price, and now he's risen from the dead, proving that his sacrifice was accepted by God. A lot of times when I was growing up, I had no idea why the resurrection was important. I heard people say at church, oh, the resurrection is really important. It's the hinge on which all of Christianity swings. It's the only thing that makes us different than every every other religion. And I didn't understand why. Until someone told me it's because it proves that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice because God gave him life. He, He didn't deserve to die. He couldn't die. Death couldn't hold him. It could hold him for a little while, three days, but his life was so pure that he burst forth from that tomb. So firstborn from the dead he was able to get this resurrection from the dead, a new life. So Jesus, he comes out of the tomb, rock gets rolled away, the Roman soldiers fall down and faint like they're dead, and he's blown like Superman, glowing, you know, hair on fire, whatever. Real exciting, really neat, glorious power. Wow, what a neat, different life. So different from all, the, all that we have. So, so different. Our life is decaying as we sit here. Your body is literally dying, decaying right now. That's not what he was experiencing. He was experiencing perfect life. And guess what? First born from the dead means first in importance. His life is the most important life. His new life, this glorious, bright, shining life is the pinnacle of all life. And there's nothing better or more glorious than this in all the world. And now a share or a portion of that life is given to you, you, every one of you who would believe and ask Jesus for his life. He he says, I will take your old decaying life that's in your heart just as a disease And I will pour in pure new life into you. And that's what it means that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. His new life flows into us when we believe. When we've asked him to forgive us, now he says, I wash you clean and I pour in a new life. That's why we have juice with communion. The bread is easy to understand, broken body, broken, Jesus dying on the cross. But the the juice is something that's poured into us that we drink. It's like his life, his new life, the glorious life being poured into our hearts. So now we get to the third one, which is the ruler over the kings of the earth, which is really the point of what we're talking about today. So we've looked at what he did during his life, which he was a faithful witness. That was the first one. The second one is we we looked at what he did during his death and resurrection. means he was the firstborn from the dead. A new life rising up. And now we get to see what he has been doing since then. So that was 2,000 years ago. That's a long time. And for those past 2,000 years, a lot of people think Jesus has been up in heaven playing a harp. But that's not true. What the Bible says is he has been ruling over the kings of the earth. Now, if you were a teacher, anyone in here teachers? Yeah, there you go. And you were to give Jesus a grade, an A or a B or a C, uh, for his performance on ruling the world, what grade would you give him? Just think about it. Man, well, You know the whole um, Black Plague thing, I'll kind of mark him down one for that. You know, Hitler, all right, going to bring him down a grade letter for that. What grade would you give him? Well, with our mind, it's hard. It's hard to know. And let's consider a few things, a few questions before we submit that final grade, okay? First, let's ask, how does Jesus rule the world? And what are his purposes in ruling the world? What is he trying to accomplish? And why does it look so chaotic if he is really ruling the world? If he's this God of love and so powerful, why does the world around me look so awful? So strange. And why do I need to know any of this anyway? So we're going to think about those questions. First, what we say is that, what we learn from the Bible is that Jesus decides who becomes king in every country in this world. Did you know that? He decides who wins elections. He decides who overthrows who. Now, what came into your mind is exactly what came into my mind is, but many, if not most of those kings are evil. These presidents are dictators and horrible men. How could Jesus do that? How could he allow people to just overthrow and murder? And what is going on here? In the Bible there's a couple of verses that help us to understand this. Daniel chapter two verse 20, 21 says, "God changes times and seasons, He removes kings and sets up kings. And when Jesus links that together in Matthew 28 at the end of Matthew, he says, "All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and that means he has the authority to set up kings and take down kings." Jesus decides by himself. Who rules each country? Which is crazy and kind of weird. Jesus appoints all of them. And I want the strangeness of that to sink in. Like a guitar that's out of tune and you hear it and it's just like, and the dissonance just kind of goes in the air. I want this to sink in. Jesus set up Obama and Bush and Clinton and Nixon all the way back And every other king in every other place, he decided that they would be there at that time. What is going on here? How can we possibly understand this? Well, here I want to take pause and I want to read Romans 11.33. Romans 11.33, Paul has just finished, well, he's not even quite done. He's just finished talking about how confusing God can be in dealing with the nation of Israel and choosing and God and people's choices. And he gets to Romans 11.33, kind of finishing his discussion on, on how confusing God can be. And he says here, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. He's saying we might not be able to understand why he does the things he does. But he is smarter than you. He's smarter than all of you added together, multiplied by infinity. He is still smarter. And Paul says, I'm trying to explain it to you guys, but really you kind of have to understand that he's God and he's super smart and he knows what he's doing. So, We can look at the world around us and we know all these kings or presidents, whatever you want to call them, we'll call them kings, they do not honor God, right? You guys agree? They are crazy and they're not doing the right things all the time. That goes without saying. But then why would God put them in power? Because Jesus likes a challenge? (laughs) I don't know, maybe. I think it's because... He's bought an engagement ring before. Who's bought an engagement ring recently? When you, oh, there you go. All right. In the past couple years, okay. Maybe some of you are going to do it soon. Who knows? I didn't look at anyone right there. Anyway, uh, when you go to engagement ring shopping, they show you this big crystal, but they, what do they put it on when they show you the, the beautiful crystal? They put it on that black velvet pillow right? And you're always like, ooh, soft. But it's really black. And then they shine these really bright lights on it, like super intense lights. And those lights shine into the diamond, and the diamond sparkles, and you see the beauty of it. And the black backdrop doesn't take away from the diamond. In fact, it just helps you see the beauty of the diamond more, right? They're trying to sell these diamonds. They know what they're doing. They're making the diamond look good, I think that is what is going on with all the nations in the world. The evil countries, the evil rulers are like the black, dark background. That when you look at Jesus compared to them with the backdrop of the evil of this world, Jesus stands out as pure and beautiful and glorious in comparison. Pop quiz. What country has the most amount of Christians? China is the right answer. China has more Christians, just number, than any country in the world. And tell me, those of you Chinese experts, what is their official policy towards Christianity? It's stinking illegal. Not even allowed. I mean, they have a State church, that's a complete joke. But the real church is illegal. You are not, you are persecuted in China. So, how, pray tell, do they have the largest amount of Christians of any country in the world? They are sending missionaries to Muslim countries. They are training, they know they're going to die and be killed, but they are learning Muslim languages so that they can go and die for the Lord in other countries. They said, stop sending us missionaries, America. Please stop. You're white, and you stand out really, really bad. Secondly, we are studying the Bible just fine, and we're doing great. Please, we will send you missionaries, show you how to love, show teach you guys some stuff. It's pretty awesome, right? So how could this happen? Bad governments and bad rulers can't keep Christianity from spreading. In fact, they encourage it. How does that happen? Well, China, one of the darkest governments... You know, they literally make it illegal and persecute all Christians, but they, all they're doing is making the, the light of the gospel shine brighter. And Jesus looks more glorious to the people. And the people see it so clearly. The darkness surrounds them and infects everything they know. And so when they see the light and someone says Jesus is pure and he's love, their hearts respond. And one out of, well, almost two out of every ten people in China are Christians, which is over 200 million people in China, are Christians. They see murder, torture, hate, poverty, and crime, and lust, and sin all around them in the world, and yet they're turning to Christ all the time. How does that make sense? When someone shines the true light into the land, of the people, the world, people respond because of the darkness that's all around them. So Jesus picked the leaders of China and every other country for the express purpose that his church can grow. Not be safe. Many Christians have been killed, but grow. Not be rich, but grow. And not be comfortable, but grow. So Jesus decides who becomes leader. Secondly, Jesus decides what those leaders can do and what they can't do. He he decides what their limits are. Sometimes he holds leaders back from doing evil. That's happened many times, and we don't really know when that's happened, but we know in the Bible that with Abimelech, when Abraham went to the, the Abimelech, the, the king of the Philistines, and he said, here's my wife, Sarah. She's not really my wife. She's my sister. Shh, I didn't tell you she was my wife. She's my sister. You can take her as your wife. And Abimelech was like, all right, I'll take her as my wife. And... Abraham is just a total idiot goober. So he does this, and God protects Sarah and gives Abimelech a dream to stop him from touching her, and he did. So God limited what this ruler could do in a supernatural way. But sometimes Jesus allows a ruler to do all the evil that's in his heart, like Hitler, to show everyone in the world what evil men are capable of. This is what life without me is, Jesus says. Do you like it? Do you want more of that? Then rebel against me. Don't go to church. Don't read your Bibles. Don't pray. That's where it ends. Hitler. Hate, racism, everything that's evil, bound up in a man, right there. That's why we must turn to Jesus and submit to him, surrender to him. Also, he's working out international events to to, uh, fulfill prophecy. You know, Hitler, if he wouldn't have done all that he did, then the UN would have never made their resolution in 1948 to give Israel back their homeland, which fulfilled Ezekiel chapter 37. So he worked all those things out so that prophecy could be fulfilled. Anything that happens in the world, we should be looking at it and saying, what is God doing with his kingdom? How could I be involved in praying for his kingdom to grow? Third, Jesus decides that he wants people from every different country. In other words, Jesus claims citizens from every country. This is really cool. In Matthew 28, he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Every country, Jesus says, I'm taking people for me. And I have the right to. He's saying that he is the ruler of all the countries of the world, all the kings of the earth, meaning that he can take their citizens to be his own, whoever he wants and whoever wants to be. You have the right to leave your country and join God's country, no matter what country you're in, he says. Isn't that cool? Missionaries, when you think about it, are the highest-ranking government officials in any country they are in. Now, it doesn't look that way, But it's the truth. The kingdom of Jesus, this kingdom of love, is bigger and better than every nation on earth. And it exists right now. And we're all gathered in different churches around the world right now. We've infested the world with Christians. His people are everywhere. So all these three things are to say that Jesus is ruling the world, and he's doing just fine. We just got to look at what goals he has. Why is he doing things the way he's doing them? Because there's a lot of suffering out there. And this is the big modern argument for against God is that there's so much suffering in the world and if there's all this suffering, then God must not be either strong enough or willing to stop it. Okay? But we got to look at that he is not eliminating suffering at this point in time. That's just the truth. And he's smarter than us, so we got to understand that. He is working through suffering to draw people to him so that they can be saved. That's what's going on. He is growing his church. He's providing for all that his church needs. Let's, let's read our text again, maybe with some new um, glasses on, of everything we've just talked about, understanding that Jesus is ruling the world. Let's, let's look at our text again. Revelation 1, verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who was and who is and is to come. And from the seven stars who are before his throne. See, Jesus seems like he's doing just fine. God's on the throne. He's not concerned about all this stuff going on. Well, verse five, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the the firstborn from the dead, and from the ruler over the kings of the earth. Now when you read your Bible look at what Jesus does for you before you think about what you need to do for him. I know a lot of you go to church and you're like all right I got to do something. Sunday I got to go to church. Got to do this for God. Oh, maybe I should give up some stuff for Lent. Got to do something for God. Oh, maybe I should serve in the children's ministry to do something for God. Maybe I should give some money to do something for God. And we think about, oh what it me me what am I doing? For God and, and when you read the Bible, it's it's not primarily about that. He says, I'll take care of that stuff. I'll change your heart so that you want to do those things. What the Bible's about is what Jesus did for you. Here he is ruling the world, and it's for you. It says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Presidents often have a theme song. I can't think of any off the top of my head. But there's like a presidential march, right? Well, Jesus has his own theme song here. This is the theme song for the king of the universe, the king of our world. And it's a love song. It says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. This is the theme song of his reign. It is not about him conquering the world and making everyone submit. It's that he stinking loves you. And he's done everything for you to be washed clean of your sin. He loved us and washed us from sin in his own blood this is kind of like a blood bath of love and it will always be something that brings glory to jesus but the crazy thing is is that when as he does this he makes us kings and priests so what he's saying is because i'm such a great king and i love you so much and i've washed you clean now i have a role for you to play in my kingdom. I have a part for you to play in this drama that's unfolding. We all have a job to do, actually two of them, kings and priests. And you are all right now kings and priests. Look to your neighbor and say, I'm a king. And then respond to them and say, no, you're not, you're a priest. Because you're both kings. We are part of his government. What does that mean? How does that work? It means when Jesus died and he, and he rose again and he went up to heaven 40 days later, he decided to leave his kingdom on earth in your hands. So if we see something that would benefit his kingdom, so we've learned from Jesus. We spent time with him. We have those three years written down for us, so we spend time. We learn what his kingdom's all about, this upside down, servants are better and just love people, that whole thing. We're like, okay, so that's his kingdom Now, if I see something that could benefit his kingdom, I have a responsibility to do it, to act. Now, how do we do that? What do we do about the needs that we see? We see someone hurting. We're supposed to do something. We see something suffering. We're supposed to do something. What is that something? And the answer is pray. Pray. He didn't say come up with organizations and societies and nonprofit organizations. He said, pray. When you see a need, pray. Ask God to send the resources to meet the need that you see for his kingdom. Not, not just your kingdom. Oh, Lord, I, I see a need. I need a Ferrari mm, and a million dollars. It does not, that's not his kingdom. His kingdom's upside down. If you say, Lord, I need to lose my job so I become more dependent on you, he might answer that prayer. And he'll always provide for you too. Well, we pray. And we should expect that he would give us answers to our prayer when they're having to do with his kingdom. Just like if you're a king and you go out to a a faraway land, and you leave someone in charge of your country, if they write you a letter and say, Dear king, I need ten horses to fight against this country because they're invading us. You would expect that king to respond with everything you asked and more because he's left you in charge. And that's what you are. You are kings in God's kingdom. You have this authority to ask, but we don't pray because we don't believe. We don't pray because we don't really believe that he's doing this. Or we don't believe he's willing or able to help us. Or we just don't care about his kingdom. Those are the reasons we don't pray. We're either self-sufficient thinking, I got this, God. I got your kingdom. Watch as I make the church of Sean. Or we don't believe. God, I, I, I would love you to help me but I just don't think you care about me that much. We need to stop, go back to what we know about Jesus. He loves us. He will provide for us. That's the constant message we have. So kings, you all understand what that means now. Now you're priests also. This is a different role that you have to play. Priests are people who help people have a relationship with God. They teach people how to know God, how to be right with him. They go out in the world and they start places to worship God and study his word. Basically, they spread the knowledge of God throughout the world. They're like the messenger just going out through the world saying, you can be right with God. You can join another kingdom. You don't have to be an American. You can be a Christian. It's far better. (sighs) So priests, they minister to people. They serve people. They love them. They evangelize them, share the gospel with them, and then they teach them the word of God. So when we consider everything that's going on in the world, what we've learned so far is what we're supposed to do after Jesus is ruling and reigning, we understand that. What we need to do, how do we respond when we see the evil in the world, is we pray because we're kings and we minister because we're priests. That's what we do. We pray and serve. We pray and serve. When you don't know what to do because life is so crazy, you pray and serve. When, when death comes and you're hurt and, and you're touched by the curse, you pray and serve. That is the role of God's people here on the earth. That is the point of your life after you believe. It's nice to have a point to your life, isn't it? What about those days when my life was about growing my kingdom? The days when I thought I was about being gangster or being rich or having relationships or women or money or power or influence. It's so nice to have an actual purpose. I can pray and see God work, and I can serve people as a priest, helping them to get to know God. So amazing what we have That's what the church started doing 2,000 years ago, and that's the only thing that's ever mattered for the past 2,000 years is people praying and serving. And it's taken many different names. There's been all kinds of different forms of that in different churches. In fact, over the next seven weeks, we're going to study the seven letters to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, and we're going to go through all the different stages in the church. But the one thing that the real people of God have been doing is praying and serving. That's all that we do. That's our entire responsibility. Pray and serve. Until when? Till Jesus comes back. What that's our next verse. Verse 7. Amazing how the Bible works, isn't it? Verse 7 Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because him, because of him. Even so, amen. Dude, so it says Jesus is coming back and it's going to be real messed up for a lot of people. All the people that have rejected him and said, God didn't care. God didn't send us any help. God hasn't been doing anything. Jesus is like, oh, you're going to cry. You're going to be sorry. And just like he said in Matthew, at the end of Matthew, verse 28, verse 19 through 20, he said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all the things which I have commanded to you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age, Jesus said. So Jesus said, I'm coming back. I'm going to be with you. And all I need you to worry about is discipling people, evangelizing them, baptizing them. It means lead them to the Lord and then teach them how to follow me. That's your whole responsibility, pray and serve. Here he says, lead him to the Lord and teach him. Jesus is coming back. And that day in the Bible is seen as the day when his invisible kingdom becomes visible. And all other kingdoms are thrown down. You know, every form of government sucks. Every one of them. They all are terrible. Every government in this world is messed up up because they're trying to govern sinners and sinners don't want to be government. They rebel against the perfect form of government, God, and you think that democracy works or communism or whatever government you have? None of them work because we're sinners and we're rebelling. And so Jesus, when he comes, all the kingdoms of the earth are thrown down. They will even try to resist his power. They'll try to go to war with Jesus, but he's going to overcome them. They're just going to kind of vanish away, just like the Roman soldiers fell back when Jesus rose from the dead. Remember, the stone rolls away and the Roman soldiers see this angel and the light and blah, they fall back dead. People get to choose what side they're on for now. What side are you going to choose? Have you surrendered to Jesus as your king Because right now, it's optional. And the world is so messed up because a lot of people have said, no, I don't want to serve Jesus my king. I want to do what I want to do. And what I want to do is sin and hurt people. And so that's why the world is so messed up. And Jesus is like, okay, you got some time. And in that time, I'm going to love you and I'm going to send my church to witness to you and to share the good news with you. But that time isn't forever. And when I come back, it'll be with clouds. That means trouble and you guys are going to mourn and you're going to wish that you had chosen me to be your king he is the king that defeated death with his love as we saw in that video isn't that the kind of king you want to serve not a king that that taxes you to death yeah he does ask you to serve him but he actually enables you to serve him he's not like the kings of this world He never wants to suck the life out of you or suck the resources from you. He only desires to pour out his own life and his own resources into you. He says, anytime you need anything, just ask me and it'll flow right from me into your life. That is an awesome king to follow. But he needs empty cups to fill. And that's where you have the choice today to decide, I'm going to repent. I'm going to empty out my cup of my ideas of my life. I'm going to, my, my visions, my goals, my idea of what I should do with my life, I empty it out and I just say, I'm empty. I got nothing, God. So would you fill me with your spirit? And that's what that is. You don't have to wait until the day he comes with the clouds to see him. On the day where you'll mourn, you can see him today. He's perfectly real in this place. He's sitting right over there. (gasps) How? In that bread and that juice, we have a perfect image of who he is. We can't see him in his physical body right now because he's up in heaven. But he says, don't worry about it. I took care of it. All you have to do is eat some bread. And remember what I did for you on the cross. As you chew it and you break the bread, remember my body's broken for you. That's what you do. And then as you drink the cup of juice, remember that my life is poured into you. Remember me. It's me. It is me. It's not magic. This doesn't become an actual body in your it's him spiritually living and alive and real in our life. We can see his new, victorious, reigning life as we believe, take communion as an act of believing. It's cool. It works. So Jesus is ruling all the kingdoms kingdoms of the world. Will we make the choice to let him also rule the most rebellious kingdom of all the world, our hearts? That's more rebellious than... Isis, I tell you what. My heart. I know what's right and I still do what's wrong anyway. My heart. Just contemplates evil continually. My heart. But Jesus can rule it. He is really good at bringing kingdoms under his control. So that's where we end our study today. Happy Easter. Jesus is risen and alive and he's willing to reign your life, reign over your life today. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to sing a song. We're gonna uh, As we sing, we're going to stand up together. And we're going to pray. And uh, um, during this last song, you are free to come down and take bread. If you believe in Jesus, if you believe in Jesus and you you acknowledge that you need him, that you're a sinner, and you believe that he was God's sacrifice, God's substitute for your sin, on the cross, you have every right to come down here and and take his life. You, you take it by faith, okay? It's not magic. It's not weird. It's just you believe in him, and it's real. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your word and for the fact that you rule and reign in our lives. And you rule and reign in, in all the kingdoms of the world. And, Lord, I... I I ask for your forgiveness for not believing that or understanding it all through my life, but thinking that if I was involved in politics and if I did things I could make a change, Lord, only you can change things. And the, the first thing needs changed is my heart. And I ask, Lord, that you would, you would do a work of pouring life into an empty cup today in my own heart. And Lord, I pray for anyone in here who has not yet believed and known that their sin was washed away. I pray that they would respond right now by calling out to you and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me with all their hearts. And uh, that was scary. (laughs) So maybe someone needed to be scared of going to hell and hearing that all the time. I have no idea what that was, but we'll figure it out. Um, so Lord, we just pray that that you would make all this stuff real for us. Lord, that we wouldn't think that we can't see you ruling and reigning, but that we could see you ruling our hearts. Jesus, I thank you so much for uh, all the servants who have been here extra long today and all the people who got up early to, to serve us and love us. Lord, we thank you so much for... Um, Dying for the, on the cross for our sins. We give you praise, honor, and glory. I pray for those who are sick right now. I pray for Maureen, who's really not feeling well, and for Rhea, and uh, ask that you would be with them and that we would be able to reach out and love them. And Lord, that you would help them to heal. We know you're a great healer, and uh, we trust you, Lord. When our lives are, are awful, when we suffer, Lord, I pray you'd help us to trust you Lord, to give control of our lives over to you and stop trying to control things ourselves. Lord, we want to honor you. We thank you so much for this celebration of your new life. And, and we ask that you would put it in us. In your name, amen.